Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful, kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created. God, who has taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant by the light of the same Spirit we may be always truly wise, and ever rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Very uh, warm welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Very pleased to be here, as I'm sure you are, for the start of uh, another session of Profide Forum. It seems quite a while, although in fact it isn't, since we were here last. But now, fortunately, we've got about eight months when we shall be having this pleasure fairly regularly. Um, our speaker tonight, Stephen Smith, it's the first time he's actually spoken here, but he has been a fairly regular um, contributor from the floor and a fairly regular attender at uh, meetings uh, in Profide Forum. As he's based in Lancashire now, we won't, for the time being, see him uh, quite as often, which a number of us regret. Uh, just a few, no a few words about him. He was born in Preston, spent most of his youth there, had his primary and secondary education there. Um, he was born, he wants me to say, on the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, and he was baptised on the Feast of the Divine Maternity of Our Lady on the 11th of October. I won't be so ill-natured as to say which year. Um, he did his uh, degree in theology and history at Christ's College in Liverpool, about which he may have things to say in his talk. I don't know. He trained as a teacher at the Roehampton Institute. Last year or two he's been teaching both primary and secondary level in East London, East End of London. He's uh, taught on the summer school I run and we were very, very pleased to have him. Um, I gather that his talk... Uh, which is entitled Fatima, the perfect answer to liberalism. I gather it contains a certain amount, although not that much, of biographical, autobiographical material, which I think throws some light on what, on uh, what he'll be talking about. He and I have talked about this before, and I know that it will throw some light. It will be of, I think, considerable interest. Stephen. Thank you very much, David. Um, I'd like to start by giving you an account of the new scenario of the Last Judgment which I once heard from a priest not so solid in the faith he once said that the Last Judgment would take place Jesus Christ would say to those on his right hand come all ye blessed of my Father possess you the kingdom prepared for you and turning to the goats on his left um, he says as for the rest of you, I would now like you to split up into small groups of about three or four, and you could discuss the general topic as to how you didn't make it. This priest went on to say that that very approach to the faith, to hell, wasn't an idea that he would altogether run away from. But I think it indicates the kind of attitude that we've become accustomed to in the church in the years immediately preceding, during and after Vatican II. I think it indicates a pick and choose attitude to, the, to religion generally and to how much we uh, accept revelation as either the, the deposit of faith handed down from the apostles or else as an ongoing process of discovery. Um, thereby implying that the truth has not yet been revealed to us. Now this very approach characterised Archic and it really does not lead anywhere apart from a denial ultimately of the divinity of Christ and the authority of the church he founded. If we say we're still looking for truth then Jesus Christ basically was a liar. The subject of my presentation tonight is Fatima, the perfect antidote to liberalism. Now my reason for choosing such a potentially wide-ranging topic as this 
it's partly autobiographical because in uh, my life so far I've had much experience of both phenomena both of Fatima the apparitions of our Blessed Lady to three simple shepherd children in the year in the months spring and fall 1917 and of liberalism which I will define for the purposes of this talk to be that pernicious opinion or shall I say religion which puts man as the ultimate arbiter of what he believes and the moral norms by which he will regulate his life I think it's a fairly concise working definition for which we can be going on with I first heard about Fatima as a young undergraduate student of theology in the mid 80s and it eventually led to a sort of conversion to what I would call real Catholicism in about 1987-1988 which, about which more later um, now my experience of liberalism has principally been in the field of religion and theology which I studied as I said or as David said in the introduction at Christ College in the 1980s but as will become apparent in this talk the whole notion of liberalism pervades all aspects of political, cultural, social and economic life as well as religious life and insofar as these impinge on my own spiritual odyssey I'll attempt as far as I'm able to comment on their influence on the church and world from my own perspective as we draw ever closer to the third millennium now we begin in 1916 middle of the first world war a bitter and bloody conflict in which man crossed the threshold of violence and mindless slaughter which had gone before and which was to set the scene for the rest of the 20th century taken up as it has been by the total revolt of man against God the legalisation and institutionalisation of wrongdoing so far unparalleled in human history there's no doubt that sin has always existed but I think as we're all aware in recent years it's become legalised in the sense of being on the statute book you're now allowed to do wrong you're considered eccentric if you don't do wrong before that wasn't the case there was still Christendom based on the teachings of Christ the King now we departed from that and you can see the results legalised abortion homosexuality divorce and goodness knows what will follow in the wake of all that so in 1916 then these three little children Jacinta, Francisco and Lucia they were playing together on their way to pasturing their flocks on some land belonging to Lucia's parents and aunts and uncles and shortly after uh, saying a hurried rosary they saw a vision of what looked like a young man aged about 14 or 15 but who announced himself as the angel of peace he prostrated himself on the ground and taught the children the following prayer my God I believe in you I adore you I hope in you and I love you I ask pardon of, the, of thee for those who do not believe in you who do not adore you who do not hope in you and do not love you that prayer as you know contains the three theological virtues of faith, hope and charity it also contains the reasons why we pray adoration, contrition thanksgiving, supplication ACTS, Acts now it's important to think about those things because our lady came at Fatima to teach the children their faith and if we look at Fatima as an overview that to me is the only realistic way to look at this as an overview of the century that would come which would basically vindicate everything our lady was saying at Fatima the children represented the children who were the targets of what we're now experiencing the vision of hell will be a vision of hell given to children 
in the future who won't be taught about hell anymore and the attitude of the angel in prostrating himself before the blessed sacrament and inviting the children to do the same is exactly the same thing that would not be taught to children as we know those of us in education this is what Our Lady was warning us about the angel of peace then said to the children the hearts of Jesus and Mary were atten- are attentive to the voice of your supplications so following on from the virtues of faith, hope and charity we have the devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of Mary following directly on from the devotion taught by our blessed Lord himself to St. Margaret Mary Alacoc in Paralimonial in the 17th century the burning love of the sacred heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of Mary for all mankind was being so loved so little in 1916 with all the killing, sin, hate and evil which were at that time consuming humanity in the great war and in teaching them the prayer my God I believe etc the angel was teaching the children how to pray now contrast that attitude contrast that attitude with the casual matter of fact attitude towards the blessed sacrament today going past the tabernacle without genuflecting the behaviour of extraordinary ministers the only people and this may sound very flippant and very controversial even but the only people to me today who believe in the real presence are Satanists they believe in the real presence that's why we're having the multiplication of sacraments against the sacrament they believe Jesus is present in there even if we don't they don't want a piece of bread they want Jesus Christ so they can defile him and desecrate him I say this because only the other week Father Gerard Dunn, Columban father was telling me about Legion of Mary Mass in Glasgow and someone went to receive communion and they came back with the consecrated host in their hand which is then exchanged with someone, someone else in the congregation for a £10 note. Now, there's very little doubt that that person was deputised to go up there to take the Blessed Sacrament, and very little doubt what that host is going to be used for. It's going to be defiled and desecrated in, the bless, in, in a black mass. This kind of thing is basically built in to a lot of the evil you see around us now also I want to comment on another um, approach to the Blessed Sacrament not just to the Blessed Sacrament also but to the error that we see around us I want to comment on the virtue of innocence because the three children lived this virtue of innocence more perfectly perhaps than people have done since the children I mean innocence is not being wet behind the ears it is not knowing nothing innocence is being able to accept the things of God as the things of God rather than treating them in a matter of fact way in which they're seen just as another dimension of life of natural life as opposed to the supernatural life of grace into which these children were being taught by the mother of God after that first appearance of the angel of peace in the second appearance the angel of peace tells the children to offer up their prayers and sacrifices in reparation for sin in supplication for the conversion of hardened sinners the angel tells the children the most holy hearts of Jesus and Mary have designs of mercy upon you therefore the renewal of the love of the sacred hearts of Jesus and Mary of all mankind which is completely opposite to the notion that's prevalent today that sacrifices are out that the main thing is not that, is not that we make sacrifices but that we try to create better community which we've all heard that before get in touch with your feelings very humanistic element something to do with sacrifice that's out, that's passe um, 
very little is said today in our churches about the need to offer sacrifice for sinners the doctrine of the mystical body of Christ on earth is regarded as not important the only part of the church that's important today is the earthly manifestation of the church people often get that confused we often see um, the, the church militant and the church triumphant as also been part of the church that's not good from our point of view but what we don't realise is that we on earth the institutional body the hierarchical body pope, bishops, priests and lay people we are the manifestation of the church in purgatory and of heaven it's been completely turned upside down we're always focusing on the here and now we're never looking to heaven as St Paul says our conversation is with heaven on this earth on his third appearance in 1916 the angel of peace held in his left hand the chalice above which was suspended the hearse with drops of blood falling from it into the chalice the angel left the chalice suspended in the air and taught the children the following prayer most holy trinity father son and holy ghost I adore you profoundly and I offer you the body and blood soul and divinity of Jesus Christ present in all the tabernacles of the world in reparation for the outrages sacrileges and indifferences by which he is offended and by the infinite merits of his most sacred heart and the immaculate heart of Mary I pray for the conversion of sinners I don't think I've ever seen a more beautiful prayer than that a prayer that says everything and the prayer that I frequently use in my own communion thanksgivings along with the my God I believe prayer bring into our mind the things of heaven the angel then gave Lucia the host of holy communion and showed the precious blood from the chalice and shared this precious blood from the chalice between Jacinta and Francisco saying as he did so take and drink the body and blood of Jesus Christ horribly outraged by ungrateful men make reparation for their crimes and console your God reversing to what was said before about the multiplication of sacrileges against the real presence three points to be made here the first of which is the ambivalence of belief in the real presence in my view caused by the distribution of communion under both kinds the idea that you don't receive the whole Christ if you receive a particle of the host or a drop of the precious blood and the Dutch catechism was more effective in propagating that particular error than any other publication I've read uh, secondly the outrageous perpetrated against our Lord in the blessed sacrament of the altar by Satanists and Freemasons thirdly the many unrepented and unconfessed communions of people who receive our Lord whilst being in the state of mortal sin that brings us to the actual apparitions of our blessed lady herself this is the warm up being given by the angel prepares the children by telling them about theological virtues then respect for the blessed sacraments and then the mother of the Eucharist herself comes in 1917 from May to October of that year now as I mentioned earlier on I had a Catholic upbringing and at the time of first hearing about Fatima it would be round about November 1983 I was studying for a theology degree at Liverpool Institute of Higher Education a friend of mine an English student and myself were talking one day about um, this and that when he suddenly asked me if I had ever heard of the story of Fatima when I said that I hadn't he told it to me and began with the story of the first appearance of May the 13th 1917 when the three children at about noon that day saw a dazzling vision of a beautiful lady of heavenly countenance who looked lovingly at them and said fear not I shall do you no harm she appeared to be about 18 with a snow covered a snow coloured dress tied by a gold cord at the hem of her dress was a star which was the star of Esther in the Old Testament her hands were joined in prayer a brilliant rosary hanging from the, her fingers Lucy plucked up courage and asked where do you come from 
I am from heaven, came the reply. Now this is perhaps Blessed Virgin Mary calling us to recall the first few words of the Catechism. Just as Our Lady came to Fatima from heaven, it is our vocation, our nature, to go to heaven. Who made me? God made me. Why did God make me? God made me to know him, love him and serve him in this world, so as to be happy with him forever in the next. Words of the Catechism, which I'm sure they were familiar, familiar to you, as they were not up to that point, November 1983, familiar to me. On learning that the Blessed Virgin came from heaven, Lucy asked her why she had come. Our Lady answered that she wished the children to come for six successive months, on the 13th of each month until October the 13th, when she promised to tell them who she was and what she wanted. Now this um, is in stark contrast to what we hear about Our Lady of late in the church. Our Lady doesn't say very much in the Bible. She's not quoted as saying very much. But when she says something, she means every word of it. She said that she would come. She said that she would do a miracle. And she did do a miracle. If she's the woman of the word, the son of the word made flesh. Do you remember the miracle of Cana? My hour has not yet come. Yes, your hour has come. That's what Our Lady says to our Lord when she says to the other people, do as he tells you. That's the beginning of miracles. And that's the gospel of the, miracul- the Mass of the Miraculous Medal. 1830. This is the beginning of miracles. This is the beginning of Our Lady's mission in these times. Yes, your hour has come. And this, and Fatima, is a continuation of that. Lucy carried on with her questions. When I go to heaven, yes, you will. And Jacinta, she also. And Francisco. Our Lady paused at this point and looked at the little boy and then said, yes, but first he must say many rosaries. Now this was at the point, I vividly remember this, this was the point when I first heard this story, that I suddenly began to think for the first time in my 19 year old life about the possibility of my own salvation. It seems strange to say it, I was a theology graduate in a Catholic college and yet this was the first time I had ever thought about the possibility I wouldn't go to heaven. I then realised the importance of devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary as the means to achieve that end. I often hear people um, talk about prudence, the virtue of prudence. Particularly with regard to unreported apparitions it's used a lot these days. But it's not so much being careful Prudence is the virtue, the cardinal virtue of prudence. It's relating means to ends. Where do I want to go and what are the means I'm going to use to get there? And the indispensable road to salvation taught to us by the Catholic Church is devotion to Our Lady because she is the bridge between this world and the next world. Hence I believe in the Immaculate Conception, hence I believe in the Assumption and the Virginal Conception of Christ. That's the bridge. Devotion to Our Lady is the touchstone of Catholic Orthodoxy. And Canon Ripley says in his book, This is the Faith, a Catholic mindset cannot properly be formed without this. And it's very, very true. After inquiring after two girls who she knew, and promising to offer herself and her sufferings in reparation for the countless sins of those who offended God, our Lady disappeared. On the 13th of June, in her second appearance, she appeared to the children after they had recited their rosary and made it clear to Lucia that whilst Francisco and Jacinta would soon die and go to heaven, she would stay, stay behind on earth to promote devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and on hearing this, on leaving them, the Lady had in the palm of her right hand 
Her Immaculate Heart, surrounded with the thorns which appeared to pierce the Immaculate Heart. And they understood this to mean that these were the sins by which the Immaculate Heart of Mary was offended. On the 13th of July, Our Lady asks for the continuation of the children's sacrifices and the continued recitation of the Rosary in honour of Our Lady of the Rosary for Peace and for the end of the war. On this occasion, the children were shown the vision of hell and the solution to stop sinners going there. Devotion to the sorrowful and immaculate heart of Mary. Our Lady also promised a miraculous peace which God promised to the world if the collegial consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary was done and if people would do the first Saturday's communion of reparation. The alternative would be that Russia would spread its errors throughout the world, promoting wars and persecutions of the Church with the martyrdom of the good and the suffering of the Pope as the price to be paid. This, these were the first two parts of the secrets of Fatima vision of hell and the conversion of Russia leading to peace for the world in the long run. This is after 1917. The secret of Fatima was only actually divided up into three parts by Sister Lucia in her memoir, her second memoir written in July, August 1941. It hadn't been uh, so divided up to that point. Now, I want to make two points here. First, the vision of hell. It is part of the secret of Fatima because it is a dogma of the faith which would soon be dropped and forgotten about altogether. The people who taught me theology at Christ College never, never mentioned that they believed in hell at all. Even though at the time and even before I never questioned its existence. because it was never taught to me. The people who, who, who taught me just didn't seem to have any notion of a supernatural religion at all. In retrospect, I'm saying that. They may have secretly believed in hell, but I very much doubt it, because the religion I was taught was a naturalistic, desupernaturalized Catholicism, if it could be called Catholicism. Whenever I said the rosary, I've always said the Oh My Jesus prayer after the Gloria a prayer that was taught to me by, by my friend who told me about Fatima whenever I say my rosary I say that prayer I don't feel as, as though I said the rosary if I don't say that often I go to recitations of the rosary in church um, it's left out I don't feel as though I've really said the rosary unless I say that prayer because it, it just brings me back to when I first heard about the story of Fatima our Lady mentioned the first Saturday's devotion. Now, despite what some people tell you, this was definitely part of the original revelation. First Saturday's was what Our Lady said. This was later at Ponte Vedra in 1925, extended to individual souls who would offer the five first Saturday's devotion. But the first Saturday's devotion was always part. Our Lady never said in 1917 in July that people should make the five first Saturdays and that was it, they go to heaven she said that the, f the first Saturday must be done by the whole church this must be a devotion of the whole church the five first Saturdays devotion was only a particular grace for individual sinners in 1925 this is an important point because of the recent confusion concerning um, the idea of the object of redemption and the subject of redemption. The changing of the words of the consecration of the chalice. Used to be for you and for many, it's now for you and for all. And the reason why it's for you and for all is because these people in the ICEL have twisted it because they want all people think that all people are saved. It's still valid, the Pope doesn't like that. But that is why that change came in. It's the new ecclesiology that people are making up it's not the church's ecclesiology it's never, the church has never taught that all people go to heaven but the change in the words of consecration 
are indicative of that belief that all people go to heaven. And in a way, I suppose, in my opinion, this is purely a personal viewpoint on this whole um, division of the first Saturdays and the five first Saturdays, Our Lady is actually saying at Fatima, I'm offering you this chance to go to heaven, offering all sinners, and then subjectively, she's offering sinners on an individual basis who say the five first Saturdays, but that is an individual indulgence to them. Now, thirdly, the errors of Russia, and I want to go expand on this later on, the errors of Russia are not just limited to communism, but to a whole world view and philosophy that are completely at odds with the spirit of the gospel. Nevertheless, since my devotion to Our Lady of Fatima, and despite that devotion rather, I still believed and acted, as when I was at college, like the liberal, useful idiots upon which the enemies of the church have always depended. I still carried on, essentially, um, accepting, fairly uncritically, charismatic renewal, liberation theology, basically the whole liberal package. I still carried on pushing this. I never really saw the contradiction at this point. So whilst I was devoted to the reality of Fatima, I never really began to think that it might have something to do with what I was being taught. That came a lot later. Um, August 19, 1917. She appeared on the 19th because the children were in prison on the 13th and couldn't get out of prison to meet Our Lady. So she uh, met them at Valinhos on the 19th of August. They were threatened actually being boiled in oil by the mayor at Urem because they wouldn't tell her what the secret was. He threatened, if you don't tell me this secret, I'm going to boil you alive. And these three children did not tell. Such was their courage, such was their faith in Our Lady and Her Lord. Um, she told the children in August to continue going to the original site of the apparitions until the 13th of October when she reiterated she would tell them who she was and she would perform the miracle that she'd promised. She also said to them, pray, pray a great deal and make many sacrifices, for many souls go to hell because they have no one to make sacrifices and to pray for them. Reiterating once more the doctrine of the mystical body of Christ. The 10th of September, Our Lady urges the continuation of the rosary for the end of the war, reiterates the 13th of October miracle and tells the children that, that their sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now on the 13th of October we arrive at the miracle of the sun witnessed by 70,000 people one of the most prodigious miracles ever in the history of the church perhaps in five centuries. Atheists, anti-clericals Freemasons were all there on the 13th of October waiting for the whole thing to fall flat on its face. They went there to scoff, to laugh, to say, well, God can't exist because he doesn't do this kind of thing. But how wrong they were to be. After declaring herself to be Our Lady of the Rosary and asking for a basilica to be built where people could practice penance for their sin, Our Lady rose and threw beams of light towards the sun, which then began to move around in the sky, throwing off colours of all shades in all directions. After twelve minutes of watching this, the people were horrified to see the sun apparently detach itself from the sky and plunge down on the crowd like a massive fireball. People began to beg forgiveness for their sins and cried out in panic before the sun went back into the sky to its normal position. Meanwhile in the sky the children saw the Holy Family representing the joyful mysteries of the Rosary. Now at this point in the apparitions the children saw the child Jesus in the arms of his mother bless the world. That has got to be a signal for the sanctification of family life which has now been so undermined as I said before Fatima is an overview 
of the 20th century. He's telling us these, this is a preview of coming attractions and if you don't do what I tell you then you're going to suffer them. They also sow our lady of sorrows with our, with our Lord carrying his cross representing the sorrowful message of the rosary and our lady of Mount Carmel holding out the brown scapula to the world representing the glorious mysteries of the rosary. That then is Fatima, that is the revelation which we're concerned tonight. Now, returning to liberalism, I said before that liberalism is the notion that human beings are the ultimate arbiter of which, if any, beliefs they will nourish in their lives and by what moral norms, if any, they will regulate their lives. Now, although my experience of liberalism is predominantly that of the religious liberal and more specifically, pardon the contradiction, the Catholic liberal, it would be necessary to trace liberalism right back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, being tempted by the devil, who said to Eve, on tempting her to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3 verse 5 In other words Satan is saying to Eve you can decide what is good and what is evil you don't need to listen to him now we all know what happened next and the rest as they say is history or at least part of it is then we go throughout the entire history of Israel failure after failure disobedience after disobedience Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, the judges, all the prophets being killed or ignored. All of them tainted by that original sin, weakened in their human nature, unable to bridge the gap, the hiatus created by the sin of Adam. Then Jesus Christ is born of a woman, the Blessed Virgin Mary, who is full of grace and the whole thing begins to change. By his life, death and resurrection, Christ is able to mediate to us his very life of grace, which makes it possible for us to be good and possible for us, more importantly, to avoid evil. Whereas before in the Old Testament, the, peop uh, the people were still, to all intents and purposes, under the power of the devil, they did not have the means at their disposal to shake off the devil's hold over them. Now, with the coming of Christ, the Word made flesh, that was all changed. The church is born on Calvary, and God breathed his Spirit into that lifeless body in the upper room at Pentecost, and now the church is in being, it's in business. Peter is a changed man, no longer running behind John to the empty tomb on the first Easter Sunday, but now, because he, along with the other apostles of that persevered in prayer with the mother of God who mediates the grace of Christ to his priests and bishops he is the man at the helm St Peter is the man at the helm that is something to remember we must all cost stick with the vicar of Christ we mustn't abandon that course in any direction when, Peter, when Jesus appointed Peter to the head of the church, he knew what he was doing. He was saying to us, if the Pope is ever weak or indecisive, as Peter is, then it's because I want to beat the devil using a weakling as my instrument. There would be no hardship at all for the devil to be, to be humbled by St. John the Apostle he loved. Because St. John was strong. He stood by the cross and everybody else has sloped off. No, no, Satan will be defeated by the weakling. And no, no defeat will ever hurt him as much as that. So really, I know it's not easy for me to say, I, I get very discouraged sometimes, but we really must stick with the Vicar of Christ. We really must stick with the Pope. This was the principle right down until the earliest 
the humanism of Renaissance Europe. So we've seen Christendom, Christendom established by Jesus Christ on the cross, and this was the principle that Jesus Christ was king right up until the first signs of it, the first signs of the whole thing crumbling was in the humanism of Renaissance Europe. There's a very good book on this by Professor Thomas Molnar called Christian Humanism in which he talks about the beginnings of liberalism. It begins in Renaissance Europe. The first signs of rebellion began to appear and there was first the inkling of a denial of the essential creator-creature relationship. In 1492 the great universities of Europe including Oxford and Cambridge had their charters ratified by a papal decree a sign of submission to the will of the Pope the only university that didn't do this that didn't submit to the papal decree was the University of Wittenberg in 1502 the University of Wittenberg produced one Martin Luther now such is the price that we pay for spurning God's grace grace that we need for our salvation 1517 saw the first rebellion against the authority of God in Christendom with Luther's, Luther's assertion of sola fide and sola scriptura justification by faith alone and the Bible being the only authority 1717 saw the second revolt with the great demigod reason enthroned and, in, and crowned by the establishment of Freemasonry at Mother Lodge in London one of the first initiates of whom was uh, Voltaire uh, the enlightenment came out of that and the principle of the encyclopedists the philosophers who were the kind of intellectual engine room behind the French Revolution Jean-Jacques Rousseau man was born free but he's everywhere in chains now once you have relegated God to the back burner once you no longer live in his grace you lose light and you stop thinking straight therefore you stop believing in him altogether and you seek to stamp him out altogether all the talk about reason and tolerance and enlightenment only extends to those who agree with you as I'm sure you've found if you try to tackle a liberal so called on any issue anyone who differs from you is narrow-minded obscurantis and therefore that leads in 1917 200 years later to the Bolshevik Revolution and Fatima and now the battle lines are drawn the Bolshevik Revolution total revolt against God total denial of God the denial of his authority produced by dialectical Marxism Leninism and atheism total revolt against God 1903 sovereign pontiff Pope St Pius X in his first encyclical a Supreme Apostolatus he even speculated that this very personification of the revolt the devil might already be in the world at that time the pontiff who commented on what he saw as the spirit of apostasy from God at work in the world even as early as 1903 Quote, with unlimited boldness man has put himself in place of God exalting himself above all that is called God in Pashendi his encyclical letter on the doctrines of the modernists Pope St. Pius X traces the revolt against God right back to the start of private judgment itself Quote, the error of Protestantism made the first step on this path that of modernism makes the second atheism makes the next end of quote so private revelation of scripture leads inevitably to private interpretation of morals the denial of church authority and eventually the denial of the divinity of Christ and these errors are still being circulated in 1950 and Pope St. Pius XII Pope Pius XII issues the encyclical letter humanly generous to counter them now to give you an idea returning to the autobiographical stance for a minute of how far how over time right. 
Ten to eight. Right. Um, 1984, as I said, I was a student of theology at Christ College. And at that time I was studying, this is the kind of thing I was studying, I was studying the Death of God School of Theology. People like Bultmann, Tillich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And their ideas were popularised in the 1963 book, Honest to God. Some of you might remember it, John Robinson, the Bishop of Woolwich. The idea that God is within. That everything, there's no longer revealed truth, that's out. God is within. Or as Tillich would put it, it's ultimate concern, what concerns me ultimately. What Bultmann was saying actually, and what these Protestants were saying, was that the Bible should be demythologized. So you have Adam and Eve is out, miracles of Christ, don't believe in them, because they're not consistent with my reason. No virgin birth, no miracles, no resurrection. Now, who should be propagating such ideas in 1984 but one David Jenkins Bishop of Durham now I literally and I'm serious about this I could not believe the fuss that Jenkins views were making in 1984 to me David Jenkins wasn't the one who was out of step the ones who were out of step were the people who, react, who were rea- reacting to him everybody else who I saw frothing at the mouth and I used to go home, people were saying, it's the terrible Bishop of Durham. I wasn't in the least bit shocked at all. The bit, this, is how, this was how far I had been affected by what I was being taught. When you lose your faith, you think the other guy's stupid. You know, you, you start thinking straight. You, your reason soon follows. If you lose your faith, your reason soon follows. I thought the Bishop of Durham was just, you know, saying what needed to be said. Because since my O-level scripture course in, 19, in the 1980s, at secondary school this was, I was taught that St. Matthew's Gospel, the inverse narrative of the, the birth of Christ, was made up by the church about a hundred years later. And that the idea of, of Joseph dreaming and being told by the angel take the child his mother and escape to Egypt but that was made up because they had to find some way of telling the Jews for whom the gospel was intended admittedly that he was the fulfilment of the Old Testament that he was the fulfilment of Old Testament prophecy therefore by appealing to the Old Testament the story of Joseph so I was taught the gospel writer or writers they said there was more than one of them were merely tailoring the gospel narratives to suit their audience nothing was said to me at all about divine inspiration nothing was said about the importance of getting what Christ said down on paper because the eyewitnesses were dying out and they wouldn't be able to pass on the message anymore but it was presented to me in a purely naturalistic retrospective fashion and that's why it was no surprise to me when David Jenkins said what he said because I've been inured against that I've been totally insulated against the views of ordinary believers so Bishop, the Bishop of Durham didn't shock me at all um, so as I said in despite of my devotion to Lady Fatima in despite of having heard about this it still didn't shock me what was being said at the time and the people who were teaching me were teaching exactly the same thing as David Jenkins. Many of them told me they admired this man. This is in a Catholic college, paid for by the money of ordinary pew-sitters. They admired David Jenkins for his courage in coming out and saying these things, in denying belief in everything you're supposed to believe in. Now they thought it was a good thing. In sixth form, following on from my um, adventures in secondary school, learning all about Matthew's Gospel, I studied St John's Gospel and read the works of Father Raymond Brown who doesn't believe in the resurrection either. So, as you can see, the kind of stuff I was being taught and um, it was beginning to affect me. So, words before the council 
such views were only discussed among certain thinkers in secret by the time I was been educated this liberalism was in the schools and the colleges being passed off as orthodoxy uh, Michael Davis once commented in a talk he was giving and for sheer pathos and understatement this text on beating he, he once said that the opinions that were once being circulated clandestinely among theologians at the time of Pius X and Pius XII were now being could now be detected in textbooks given to children in infant schools and that, that, that says it all for me but when I heard that some years later it then began to ring true um, returning now I'm sort of getting oscillated like this but unless I, I do so I can't give you the full picture I keep oscillating between Fatima and to use a modern idiom my experience to, to, to show how this revelation has affected me Our Lady Fatima asked for five decades of the rosary daily from everybody to say our rosary whenever we felt like it or not and when we say the rosary we are meditating upon the lives of Jesus and Mary after Jesus had died and risen from the dead and ascended into heaven all Our Lady had were those mysteries so essentially we are in Our Lady's shoes she had the mysteries then because she could remember them we have them now in pondering on the mysteries of the rosary every day we do what the apostles did when they were being um, when they were scared to move out of the upper room they persevered in prayer with Mary the mother of God they didn't just persevere in prayer but they persevered in prayer with Mary who was full of grace what's good enough for the apostles is good enough for us she asks us for the penance of fulfilling our daily duty and offering it up as a sacrifice for sinners daily duty means doing what we have to do and doing it to the best of our ability whether it is the uh, mother in a family a husband, a wife, a son or daughter whether it's getting out of bed in the morning or turning over those five minutes more whatever it is it sounds trite I find it incredibly difficult to fulfil my daily duty but that is the penance our lady asks for at Fatima now the rosary should take no more than 15 minutes and therefore it fits nicely into our daily routine she gives us the help, our lady gives us the help to do our daily duty even better. And if we do all this, as our lady promises at Fatima, then Russia will be converted. If we don't do it, then Russia would spread its errors throughout the world, the good will be martyred, the Holy Father will have much to suffer, and various nations will be annihilated. I ask the question, have we obeyed our lady's requests? It's a rhetorical question but we have to look hard at why this the errors of Russia have spread throughout the church I mentioned before about the liberation theology liberation theology grew up in the 60s and 70s out of the poverty and oppression of Latin America it was greatly appealing to me as a socialist in 1984-85 um, and it still exercised a great deal of influence upon me on this, at this time there's no doubt about it that Our Lady of Fatima was warning about the areas of Russia and one of the areas of Russia was this liberation theology now I'm not saying don't get me wrong I'm not saying that we, don't, we can ignore the poverty of Latin America many people live and Ratzinger said this many people live in a state of grinding poverty every day in, in Latin America we don't meet that with Marxism we meet it with a Catholic social teaching Hamish Fraser also said the same thing and Hamish Fraser has been a big influence on me and my view of Fatima the idea that we should look at how we fulfil our daily duties towards those people in Latin America we implement Catholic social teaching we don't just throw Marxism at the problem and pretend it will go away um, now I mentioned before about the rationalisation of the Catholic uh, faith by such as David Jenkins 
from Father Edward Darnis began to do the same thing within the Catholic Church in 1942. Father Edward Darnis was a professor of theology at Louvain University in Belgium and he began to say, although he believed that Our Lady appeared at Passover in 1917, he didn't, appear, uh, didn't believe in what Lucy was saying. That, um, which was here, the Rosary for the Conversion of Russia, devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, vision of hell. He said that that was completely nonsense. He said that Lucy was making it up. And people thought that because Father Darnis was... Um, in Belgium, and Sister Lucy was in Portugal, and the war was on, therefore he didn't, was not, wasn't able to go and see her. Therefore he thought that um, he didn't know the full facts. But people rushed up to him and said, what Sister Lucy was saying in 1917, she's saying now. And uh, he wasn't interested. He wasn't interested in the slices because he had found um, a market within the church for anti-Fatima propaganda. He found people who were willing to listen to the denigration of Fatima from between 1942 and 1945 and onwards into the 50s. Because in Portugal, the people had responded magnificently to Our Lady's requests and the country had been preserved from communism in 1936, the Spanish Civil War. The, Russian, the Portuguese bishops had consecrated um, Rus uh, Portugal to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And as a result of that, Portugal was spurred the Spanish Civil War and communism was kept out of the Second World War. And every time the Pilgrim Version statue went around, there were conversions to the Catholic faith and people came into the church. Communists like Hamish Fraser, Douglas Hyde came into the church. Priests were hearing confessions in, in France 24 hours a day. There were conversions all over the place. And some priests didn't like being told by, by some little nun in Portugal what to do. They didn't like the thought of being told to do what Our Lady requested. Make the five first Saturdays, wear the scapular, say the rosary every day. Some priests got very, very surety about doing what Our Lady said, or doing what Sister Lucy said. And so they lost interest in Fatima from that time onwards. In 1949, St. Pius, uh, Pope, I think it's in St. Pius XII, Pope Pius XII, hopefully one day will be St. Pius XII, he um, excommunicates the entire Russian Communist Party, uh, the entire Italian Communist Party, in readiness for the Dogma of the Assumption in 1950. The preparation for St. Uh, Pope Pius XII's onslaught against communism in the Soviet bloc the star at the hem of Our Lady of Fatima's dress is the star of Esther in the Old Testament if you want a biblical commentary on the mission of Our Lady of Fatima in these times read the book of Esther um, Esther is the queen of Persia and she takes the name Esther which is a Persian word for star and the people are threatened with being overrun and Esther tells the people to pray and fast for three days and on the 13th of the month armed with the strength the people give her she goes into battle and defeats the enemy so the commentary on Our Lady's um, mission in these times especially at Fatima is the book of Esther one man is unhappy with the dogma of the assumption being declared Father Karl Rahner, SJ, prominent theologian, and he wept on hearing about, hearing about it. Rahner wept tears that day when the dogma was defined because he was in the same league as David Jenkins to de supernaturalize the Catholic faith. He, in 1984, before he died, co authored a book. Um, called Unity of the Church is an Actual Possibility in which he advocated that the Church drop all insistence on the Immaculate Conception, the Assumption, the Resurrection, the Virginal Conception of Christ um, because it was unecumenical. And he said we should drop all of this because it's not ecumenical, people won't like this. Um, 
And so we shouldn't be surprised then in 1950 that he should weep when the dogma of the Assumption is promulgated by Pope Pius XII. In 1962, Rana campaigns like mad in the Vatican Council to stop Pope John XXIII declaring Our Lady to be Mediatrix of All Graces. And so, therefore, instead of a separate constitution for Our Lady, the um, dogmatic constitution of the Church includes Chapter 8 on Our Lady in Lumen Gentium. And the reason why Rana said that we shouldn't declare this to be of Catholic faith was because the Protestants wouldn't understand it. They didn't understand it when they were crucifying and burning martyrs and confessors for the previous 400 years. So why should you care whether they understand it now? But anyway, um, in 63, Rana manages to get um, Our Lady Matrix of All Graces off the council agenda. 1964, the prayer to St. Michael at the end of Mass is dropped. Um, now, I mean, we all have views about liturgical changes. I have views about liturgical changes as well. But whatever you say, you cannot get away from the fact that the dropping of the prayer to St. Michael has been a kind of unilateral disarmament of the church in face of the devil's assaults. We've just laid down our arms and we've surrendered, basically. Um, one of the things we could usefully do, I think, is to persuade our own parishes to have that prayer at the end of Mass. One parish that did that in, in Crosby and Merseyside has been dubbed, the church has been dubbed with satanic slogans about five or six years ago, and they introduced the prayer of St. Michael at the end of Mass, and it started happening. So it does work. Um, now, before Vatican II, Ostpolitik, the Eastern policy of the Vatican towards the Eastern Bloc, was introduced because of the decision by Pope John XXIII not to say anything about the Russian communist um, regime that would upset them because he wanted two Russian Orthodox observers to attend the council and he got that guarantee but he also um, made sure that there would be no explicit condemnation of communism in the council documents 450 people in the council wanted communism condemned but for various reasons it wasn't condemned and that allowed liberation theology to get in because if you say you're going to deal with communism then uh, logically speaking you can't protest against liberation theology it's illogical therefore that's how it got into the church and that's um, basically the history of um, Latin American church affairs until the collapse of the Berlin Wall. Now, the antidote. The antidote is the collegial consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, as Sister Lucy requested. Um, I know there's a lot of controversy about this, but I will just ask those people who say that the consecration has been done to explain why we have people converting not to Catholicism in the Eastern Bloc but to converting to McDonald's and Playboy and all the other goodies of the West. Of the West. Why Communist China is still very much at large. Why the Serbian Communists are causing havoc in, in uh, Bosnia. And why China is still waiting to make its entry onto the world scene and I'm sure you glean my opinion on the consecration by now but that is the remedy and Pope John XXIII could have done that in 1962 he had all the bishops there in one place in the Vatican Council he could have done it like that but for his own good reasons he didn't the other thing we can say is that we must fulfil our daily duty do our duty to the best of our ability every day day in, day out whether we feel like it or not um, and the third reason why we should consider Fatima as the antidote to liberalism is because of the Islamic factor 
a lot of the um, message of Fatima I believe is tied up with the conversion of Islam because Fatima was Muhammad's daughter I used to live on Green Street in Forest Gate the thought of all those Muslims being converted to Catholicism and instead of selling their Hindu religious articles and their Muslim religious articles selling miraculous medals and rosaries all the way down Green Street think of the spiritual power that you could unleash and that is why the powers that be want to do away with, Muslim, with the Islam religion not that we're saying that Islam is good it's a Christian heresy but because in 1991 they wanted to break down they used the Gulf War as an excuse to break down the, the Muslim system devotion to family life devotion to family life looking after your elders the family unit matters to the Muslims if it can matter to them it can matter to us so the whole reason for that for the Gulf War in 1991 was for the powers that be to break down Islam rather than prevent rather than have the possibility of those people converting and I think that that is what we should pray for the conversion of Islam through the, through the intervention of Our Lady of Fatima because unless we do those things all of what we're seeing at the moment will continue. Communism has now been replaced by New Age. Um, new Age infiltration everywhere in education. And with sex education now coming under the horizon, that relates to something very, very poignant that Fatima Our Lady said that people, more souls go to heaven for sins of the flesh than for any other reason. And that's why we should pray especially for the end of this abominable sex education that's in schools. It really is way over the top. And this is the overview our lady presented in 1917. I realise this has been a long talk, um, but that's the impact Fatima has had on my life, um, up to now anyway. What David didn't mention, what I didn't tell him, was in addition to being born on the Feast of the Our Lady of Sorrows, baptised on the Feast of Divine Maternity of Our Lady, I was confirmed on May the 13th, 1976, which I didn't know until I looked it up in about 1989. So, one way or another, I think Our Lady has been very kind to me. Thank you very much.